Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We all dream of adding some sparkle to our investment portfolios, but could investing in English sparkling wines provide the answer? Paul Lewis of BBC Radio 4 Moneybox is here to ask what's happened to the government's promise of a pensions dashboard and cycling your way to a tax break. We reveal the health and financial benefits of commuting on two wheels. The long hot summer has been good for the UK's native wine producers, including the growing number who are producing English sparkling wines. But would you order it in a restaurant? Never mind consider it as a potential investment. Joining me now to discuss is Alan Livesey, the FT Lex writer and, in our office at least, the resident wine buff. Welcome, Alan. Hiya. (laughs) So let's start with the restaurant question. Do people really want to drink English wines? It depends what you mean by English wines. I, I think English still wines, it may be a little bit harder of a sell, but the, the, they do win awards, the still wines, particularly in the white wine category. Sparkling wine has done much better, I think, uh, over the last sort of 15, 20 years or so. And do you have um, any particular favourites that you would look out for on a, on a restaurant wine list? Well, I, you know, I would look at, uh, there's a number of I don't want to advertise for them. I mean, the one that has been around uh, for a little while winning awards is Nye Timber. Uh, but uh, there are some others that really, you know, deserve mention. Hambledon, Gusborne, Chapel Down, and I talk about them in the article. And, and you also <clears throat> reveal the fact that some um, restaurants will charge £100 for the top Nye Timber brand. First of all, let me just say that uh, sparkling wine sales in the UK are doing uh, well. I've got some numbers. The, the M&S says that last year... Uh, Marks and Spencer said the last year they, their sales of English sparkling wines were up 17%. Um, and across all UK supermarkets, um, according to the trade, it was up 6%. So that was last year, and I think maybe this year could be another really stunning year. Nye Timber's 100-pound bottle is a single vineyard Tillington um, uh, you know, uh, bottle that they, they put out. It's 100 pounds at retail. Seventy nine fifty in bond before taxes. So uh, at a restaurant, it'd be a lot more than that. Blimey. Um, and uh, from what I understand from the experts, that they will sell it. Goodness me. Well, I'm more of a, I'm more of a Prosecco drinker um, <laughs> myself, but we won't dwell on that uh, question. So tasting it is one thing, but how investable um, is it? What opportunities are out there for people who want to actually invest in the wine-producing businesses themselves? Well, I mean, there's the... 
the obvious one, I guess, is set up one of your own vineyards and, and wineries. And there's a bit of a difference. I mean, people can plant uh, vines, but, but they may not have the capacity to uh, actually make it on site. But m- quite a lot of them do try to do both. Obviously a risky thing. It takes a while to get positive cash flow from the sparkling wine uh, business because you need to let it sit for a while and, and um, mature. Uh, and so it could be six, five, six, seven years before you're getting any decent cash flow. Um, the other idea is to buy maybe some agricultural land that's used for vineyards. Uh, the one thing is the land agents are kind of waiting for you. <laughs> um, they have been going up. Indeed, uh, vineyard land uh, is probably about double agricultural land, according to Savills. A bit uh, frothy? Sorry, uh, couldn't yeah, resist. <laughs> a, a bit frothy. A bit, there's a bit of fizz in there, and even higher for the better ones. So, uh, yeah, you could easily pay eighteen or 20000 an acre versus nine for agriculture. But increasingly, these wine companies are listing on stock markets. And that's the other thing I'm going to say. So... Uh, there are two that are listed. They're 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 small. There's one chapel down um, uh, that's listed, I believe, on the next exchange, um, which is a very small exchange. Uh, on the slightly bigger, slightly better known AIM exchange is Gusborne. Um, they're near each other in Kent, uh, but that has nothing to do with it. There are there are growers all throughout uh, England and Britain, um, but the these two have done the share prices of they've done well over the last couple of years. They're small cap stocks. They're small companies. but Are they it, ironically illiquid? Mm, they're a little bit illiquid, <laughs> yeah. But if you, don't, uh, you, if you don't bottle it, you could make some decent money. And what other factors could affect investment performance of English sparkling wine in the future? I think two, two things have helped, definitely. Longer growing seasons. It's not just about being hot. It's, a, it's really about more sunshine, longer growing periods. So and being hot for longer. Yeah, or more sunshine for mm. longer, uh, too, a little bit. But uh, warmer temperatures so that the grapes can ripen. Certain grapes need more ripening time. Um, but the pound, the, the level of sterling, makes a really big difference, too. And when the pound fell after um, Brexit, or had been falling into the Brexit mm. vote, um, that really helped wine trade here. A lot of um, outside buyers uh, from around the world started to look into the UK, both for vintage wines that were in store, but sparkling wine too. So exports have gone up for some of these uh, players. Well, thanks very much there to Alan Livesey. You can read his full article, English Sparkling Wine, on Cork's A New Vintage of Investor, online now at ft.com slash money. There seems to be little dash to produce the Pensions Dashboard, a digital innovation that promised to let people see all of their pension savings in one place by the year 2019. As most of us will be relying on a combination of various workplace schemes, private pensions and the state pension to provide us with an income when we retire, the idea of one unifying dashboard has attracted a lot of public support. It was first mooted by George Osborne in his 2016 budget, yet more than two years later... Nothing much has happened. Joining me to discuss why is Paul Lewis, the FT Money columnist and presenter of Radio 4's Moneybox programme. Welcome, Paul. Hello, Claire. So has the government gone off Mr Osborne's idea? Well, we don't know because it refuses to say anything. It mm. just says we'll, we'll make an announcement in due course. But that kind of implies it has gone off it a bit, doesn't it? And there was certainly an article in the newspaper suggesting that Secretary of State Esther McVeigh was getting very cool on the idea of, of the government being responsible for this all-singing, all-dancing, unifying pension dashboard. So could it be put off by 
the complexity i mean it sounds like a huge project is it really possible to move all of this data online by next year the more I looked into it, you know, Claire, the more I thought it was an almost impossible task. Though a lot in the industry think it's not impossible, I have to say. Mm. Um, there's a pensions consolidator called Pension B, and it consolidates your pensions into one new pension pot. And it told me that 30%, nearly one in three of the pensions it takes over, still have their records on paper. So they would all have to be digitised in some way. And even those that are digitised, these are on legacy systems going right back to the pensions mis-selling of the 1980s and 90s. And even earlier, many people did have their own pension pot set up under different provisions. So getting all those into one format that can be read and put as sort of nice, neat lines is going to be a massive task. So if the government doesn't, pull the strings would the pensions industry itself be prepared to go it alone and fund the dashboard projects well i certainly think parts of it would it is the pensions industry that's provided a prototype of this dashboard and it sent it to the department for work and pensions well a year almost a year ago now um and nothing much has happened with it as far as we know so it's done that work it knows how it would work and i think the industry would be prepared but it might be more likely that individual pension providers, the big ones, will say, OK, here's our pensions dashboard, here's our data, here's the data from maybe half a dozen others and we get together and we put a bit of it together and we'll share it. But whether it would be that complete consolidated record is simply not known. But of course, the pensions industry would love it because with a single tap on your smartphone, you can just see just how inadequate your pensions <laughs> are. Then you'd be thinking, oh, gosh, I better save a bit more or I won't be able to eat my home and eat my dinner when I when I retire. So it's a great sales opportunity. So I do think that the pensions industry would like this. It is willing to put some money into it. It's done it already. But what it needs is the Secretary of State, Esther McVeigh, to say what the government's going to do. If the answer is we're not going to be responsible for it, then I think the pensions industry will take over. Um, if the government, of course, says it will, then uh, that, that will be a different matter. But I still think the original deadline of 2019 for this even if we stretched it to the 31st of December it is pretty unlikely. Well thanks very much there to Paul Lewis you can read his FT money column online now why is the pensions dashboard still stuck on the blocks at ft.com slash money. Tens of thousands of Britons used two wheels to get to the office last Wednesday to celebrate Cycle to Work Day, the annual event held to publicise the health benefits, not to mention the financial ones, of cycling to work. Joining me to discuss is Neil McGuigan, Channel Manager at Cycle Scheme, which is the biggest workplace provider of the Cycle to Work benefit. Welcome, Neil. So firstly, tell our listeners how the Cycle Scheme works and how much money they could potentially save. Yeah, it's simple, to be honest. Um, Cycle Scheme is UK's largest provider of cycle to work. Um, generally, you can save between 25 and 39%, depending on your tax bracket. Um, the majority of people look for a bike up to £1,000 across our 2,000 store network. Um, and this generally saves you in the region, depending on your tax bracket, up to £390. Um, the majority of employers allow you to spread the cost between 12 and 18 months. 
but one of the key factors is your your employer must be registered with Cycle Scheme. And it's very easy for employers to register for that if they're not ready. But the way that the scheme is administered and the way that the tax savings are applied is a form of, of salary sacrifice. You're putting aside that money out of your gross salary, whether it's over 12 or 18 months interest-free. And in return, you must promise to use the bicycle to cycle to work. Yes, as simple as that. And remember, the employer also makes a saving, uh, roughly around 13.8% on national insurance contributions as well. So it's a, it's a win-win. And the employer also gets a workforce that is energised, active, feeling happy. Uh, and generally, what we found is, is much more productive as well. So what else can you buy um, with that £1,000 limit? It's not just restricted to a bike. Well, yes, with cycle scheme, basically you can choose any cycling gear to commute. It's pretty wide. As we mentioned earlier, the majority of people purchase a bike. But for me, the simplest route to do if you're coming in as a beginner would be to purchase a bike around £750 and then look at the key accessories that you can bolt on, uh, like a helmet, like footwear, pumps, locks. And for the for the obligatory comfy padded shorts as well for these longer commutes, which is essential. Oh yes, I can I can attest to that. I also invested in puncture-proof um, tyres um, for my bike after I'd used the cycle to work scheme, and I have to say that has saved me a fortune in maintenance a good costs. Investment. <laughs> yeah, a great investment. So not. Um, all- Not all FT readers, however, are a fan of the Cycle to Work scheme. Since I um, wrote about it in my column last week, some of them have contacted me and discussed that well-paid city workers such as myself can get a tax break um, of around £400 for cycling to work. I mean, what would you say to critics of the scheme? Well, over the last 14 years, we've created roughly 800,000 new cyclists in Britain, which is a massive achievement. Um, from the information I have on hand, um, the majority are in the lower tax bracket, um, taking advantage of affordable and, and a healthy solution, uh, taking into account increasing travel costs and higher costs of living. Remember, Cycle Scheme is available to everyone, irrelevant of financial background or, or credit history. Cycle Scheme helps to promote fitness, well-being and happiness in the workplace. So really... Um, I think the opportunity is there for everyone to take advantage of Cycle to Work. Well, it took me a few years to pluck up the courage to actually do it. I was put off by London traffic um, and finding a quiet route. And as I said in my column, the FT's columnist, John Gapper, who also lives in the same part of London as me, came to the rescue by sharing his his route to work. And I just followed him home um, a couple of times, uh, which was a real boon. But what's your advice to eager yet nervous cyclists who are weighing up whether to take the plunge? You just have to follow your lead. Um, Going out with someone and commuting and following them, learning from them, helps you build confidence and lets you learn the key aspects of road safety. There's also various routes around town that make life a lot easier, like greenways and low traffic routes. Organisations like Sustrans offer a various number of routes available on the web. 
Absolutely. I'm a big fan of Sustrans and uh, lots of those routes. Uh, if you're in a city covered by the app City Mapper, you can actually look up on their quiet cycle um, scheme, which is um, an absolutely invaluable resource. So what other advice would you give to people who are thinking about cycling for the first time? Another good confidence boost for new cyclists is realising that you can go out and just practice cycling. Go out and get on a bike. Many haven't done it. And the 15th of August gave us and many other cyclists the opportunity. People who haven't been on bikes for years just got on a bike for the first time and got involved in Cycle to Work Day, the national campaign to get people cycling out of cars. And what a difference it made. We had a great response. We had a record number of employees, cyclists, employees, retailers involved. It really was, there was a lot of energy around it and some fantastic feedback. This was our sixth year of creating Cycle to Work Day. And and the feedback and what we've heard is fantastic. And we're actually already starting to plan for year seven. We, we can't wait. Well, fantastic. Thanks very much there to Neil McGuigan of Cycle Scheme. You can read my column, Pedal Your Way to a Tax Break, online now at ft.com slash money. One thing I didn't mention is that it saves me £1,400 a year off the cost of commuting in London. That's it from The Money Show this week. If you would like to contact our panel of experts, email us money at ft.com or follow us on Twitter at ftmoney. We'll be back next Thursday at the usual time. Goodbye. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.